0: talking about how it is that we drive at night. And you'll find this scripture in Luke chapter 23, verse 55. If you want to follow along, I will be going back to this and to another scripture. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law." But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. The men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, y'all, I've seen deer do some frightening things to cars, and I certainly grew up in a town where um, I was so afraid of drive-by shootings. This was a little neurotic since I didn't live in an area of town that really was known for that. But still, you saw it on the news, that I surrounded myself at night with stuffed animals. I figured they could take the bullet for me. Y'all just think I'm sad now, but anyway. Let me tell you about the most frightening time we've driven at night. So, Kevin and I were in Mexico um, many years ago doing language learning. We were living with a family in Linares, Y'all don't know where that is, and that's okay. It's in northern Mexico, and it's where our host family lived. And our host family, the dad and the family, there were three kids and the husband and the wife and us. Um, it was the middle of the summer, and there was no air conditioning. So just put that little picture in your heads, and that's what we were doing. And um, he was the owner of a hardware store. So a couple of times every month, he would load his little hatchback up full of hardware, of hoses, of rakes and shovels, and he would take them up to the people who lived in the Sierra Madre who had little stores up in the tiny towns there. And he was their supplier. So the mom and pop stores would have a few rakes or whatever. They'd call him and they'd say, Chewy, we need this. And he'd he'd bring those up um, a couple times a month. Well, on the second time he went, during the time we were there, he invited us along. And he said, it's going to be an all-day trip. We're going to get back really, really late at night, but... It's cool. It's no problem. We were like, oh, we want to go. We want to see the Sierra Madre. We want to see these little towns. And so we both really wanted to go, but the problem was that there was one. It was a hatchback, and all the stuff was in the back seat. And so Kevin got the front seat, and he, they just kind of pried me in there. I don't know if you can tell, but that is how much space I had to sit in for the ride up into the Sierra Madre. So I was very happy when that started getting unloaded because I had a serious crick in my back. It was seriously uncomfortable. But we got it all done, and let me tell you a little bit about this journey. So we're driving up into the mountainside of Mexico, and um, Chewy, um, who was our our host guy, dad, um, he had one tape on, one tape, the whole time. Let me, let me tell you, first of all, who was singing on this one tape. It was Shakira, okay? It was one tape, it was by Shakira, and it wasn't a full tape. It was a single. And <laughs> yes. I kept hearing the song. I was like, man, I thought I already heard the song. Oh my gosh, it's a single. And so it would just finish the song and it would start right over again. And it was Hips Don't Lie. Yeah, your hips don't lie. Okay? So the first time you hear hips don't lie, you're kind of okay with it. Maybe it's a little kicky beat. You're like, okay, I'm going with it. Hips don't lie. But by the 215th time you heard Shakira sing, your hips don't lie, and I'm starting to feel you now, you're just like, kill me. Right? (laughs) I cannot take this anymore. It starts to drive you insane, but it didn't drive Chewie insane. He must have really dug that song or just really not been clued into the fact that it just kept going. So anyway, we were done for the day. We went to eat dinner at this place. And by the time we were driving back, the sun had set long, long ago. Kevin is exhausted. Hearing Shakira that much will do that to you. And so he's like, I'll sit in the back, babe. I was like, oh, how nice. (sighs) Right? He's dozing off. He's in and out of sleep. And Chewy's telling me in Spanish, hey, Laura, talk to me. Keep me awake. Talk to me. In Spanish, keep me awake. Usually you might be like, isn't this a cool song on the radio? But by then it was 473 times that I'd heard it, and that was no help. So my brain is mush. It's dark. And I said, well, tell me about driving back. And he starts telling me these horror stories. I think they were true. He's like, one time I heard about a friend who got pulled over by banditos, and they blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, Oh, my gosh. And he said, and one time I was driving, and there was a big pileup, and I had to stop, and I had my windows open. You would because there's no air conditioning. And right next to his car, thankfully it was on the other side of the road, there was a jaguar. He looked out the window, and there was a jaguar, and it went, and he rolled up his window. He's like, I guess I thought it would help, you know, but the jaguar went back into the woods. So I'm thinking about jaguars, banditos, Him falling asleep at the wheel, we're careening down this Mexican road on a mountainside in a tin can with Shakira playing, and then the most terrible thing happened. The headlights flashed across the road, and there was this giant tube stretched all the way across the road. It was really, really, really thick. It was a huge tube. It was shiny. It had scales. Are you following me? It was, I have seen large snakes in a zoo. This was the largest snake I have ever seen, and I didn't see it for that long, because to his credit, Chewy, all of us went, (gasps) that woke Kevin up in time to see what we were going (gasps) about. He didn't stop. The snake would have eaten the car. (laughs) He just kept going. Ba-bump. Did you know that, oh, sounds the same in all languages, Right? Oh, that was so gross. We were all wide awake after that. I'll let you know. And thankfully, we got home safely. But I will tell you that while we were in Mexico in an unknown land, that was my only experience driving at night. There was one time I was on a night bus, and I can tell you all that story later. But those were the only times. We didn't venture out at night. Mexico during the day was an inferno, and it was a land we weren't familiar with, and we might get lost. And so we knew, come night, I have to be back to the house. Because there are snakes larger than this church building out there in the darkness waiting to eat me or the car or whatever. So we got home. And a lot and a lot of times we think that it's only here at church that we encounter God. That this is like the safe place. And God isn't going to go out there into our darkness to find us. God's not going to drive at night. But actually as you look in the scriptures, um, if you look at... In. Uh, OK. Matthew 4:16. This is what the introduction to Matthew says was Jesus' mission. The people who sat in darkness, not moved around, they had given up. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, who lived there? not vacationed there, not drove there, but lived there in the land of death, on them a light has shined. That was the whole point of what Jesus came to do. He would drive through the darkness to pull people out. The lights of his headlights would shine on them, and suddenly a touch, a word, they had hope that they never had before. That was why he came. And always it was light advancing, darkness retreating evil spirits see him, and they scream, and they run, and they can't stand before him. All up until you get to Holy Week. In Holy Week, it's a turn for the darkness. What Jesus says, actually, in the garden, it all started really on Palm Sunday. Remember how I told y'all we are hot and cold people. So on Palm Sunday, people were like, yay, Jesus, I love that guy. And then by Friday, they were screaming for his death. They were calling the name of a murderer. And it starts to get really dark on Thursday. On Thursday, he eats his last meal. He goes to the garden and pray, prays. He's in agony. He's saying, God, I don't wanna do this. I don't want this to happen. Can you save me from this? And then the, he's strengthened by God. God's saying, no, you're gonna have to do this. I'll give you the strength. So that's when the armed men with a, like this huge group of soldiers come. They come for him with all these weapons of the day and torches and it's like they're armed to the teeth. And here to get this man who's been praying. And they've got the turncoat with them. And he says to them, basically, you cowards. Every day, every day while it was light outside, I was teaching surrounded by people and you never touched me. And then he says this, but this is your moment. This is your moment. The time when darkness reigns. And over the next 24 hours, the light would be shut out. It began at night. He was taken, and he was lied about, and he was beaten. He was delivered over to the authorities, and they said, this guy's got to die. And the authorities were like, what has he done? Oh, he claimed to be the king. He claimed to be God. By our rules, he's got to die. And so we have a short period of light. That's all happening at night, all happening under cover of darkness. Friday dawns. The crowd scream for him to be killed, and he is beaten He is flogged. He is mocked. They blindfold him and jam a crown of thorns on his head. And don't you know that evil was saying, finally, you get the thorns and I get the throne. Evil was sitting on the throne and God was being destroyed. And so at 12 o'clock, they nail him to the cross and the light starts to fade from the day. The earth couldn't handle it. When the creator is nailed to the cross, the light seeps away. The sun can't shine anymore. The day goes dark early. As he dies, the earth shakes. Creation knows this is not right. And so his followers bury him in the twilight of a day that has already gone dark. And all it says is, they saw where he was buried. And they went home and they got things ready. They they had to get pounds of spices ready and yards and yards of linen. I mean, nobody was prepared for this because nobody thought he would die. They thought he was going to come and kick some holy butt and kick people out. And, you know, it was going to be this earthly kingdom, and then he died. And so they did all those things, and then they stopped. I want to talk to y'all about two things from this passage that can help us when we're in darkness have hope. The first thing is how long Jesus gave darkness to reign. Did you see? What did he say? This is your moment. This is your moment. Y'all, Jesus never said the darkness was not painful. He knows that it is painful. I mean, he was torn apart. He was killed by the darkness. He does not deny its reality. And it did rain. It wore the crown. It, darkness reigned. For three days. But what are three days, even the most painful days in the sweep of history? And you know what the good news is? We get to live on the other side of that. We're not on the side before that happened when it looked like the darkness was winning. We're on the other side. We're here today to say the darkness cannot win. It can't win because the tomb is empty, because Jesus is alive. It had its moment. And so this is what I would tell you, because I know as I look at you that you cover it up really well, but inside there are these spaces of darkness. There is this hopelessness. There's this fear of what comes after death. There's this fear of this broken relationship, and I know I did that, and how can that ever be right? There are all these broken things and dark things in our lives. And when the darkness falls, we might have been in light our whole life, but when the darkness comes, do you know how easy it is to forget, to just forget what it's like to see things clearly and to just say, oh my gosh, maybe now I have to get used to this. I have to get used to just crashing into things or maybe just sit still. Maybe the bravest among us, when the darkness falls, when we lose our jobs or we lose a relationship or we really mess up and we sin or when we're so far from God, we don't even know how to get back again. The bravest among us might say, well, I guess I'll make the best of it. Easter says, no, don't make the best of it. You're busted out. You're broken free. The light is coming back. Darkness is real, but it only has a moment. That moment was three days. Sometimes that moment is a year. It can go on a while, but it won't last forever. It cannot win. It is destroyed. Darkness has only a moment. So let's look at how those people got from darkness to light, what they did. That's what I always want to know. Okay, so how do I get there? What do I do? How do I follow what they did? And I can get to light too. So if you have your Bibles, you can look back with me. If not, I'll I'll read it to you. This is um, verse 56. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. But very early on Sunday morning... So, what did they do in that moment of darkness? They rested. I'm sure they were crying. I'm sure they were sad. But it wasn't like they were doing something to break the darkness. They did nothing. They did nothing. It's because that's what God had asked of them on that day. That day, the Sabbath began. And did you catch when the Sabbath began? It said it was the day of the Sabbath, and when was it starting? Yeah, so the Sabbath is Saturday, but did you know it starts Friday night? It's sundown to sundown. For y'all, it's sundown to sundown. The The Sabbath begins in the dark. The Jewish days began in the dark. When do, when do our days begin? In the morning, right? I mean, technically they begin at midnight, but really they begin when my alarm goes off and I get up and I start working and start doing, and they end... When I'm so exhausted, I fall into bed and can't do anything more. That's the space of my day. It begins with the sun rising. It begins with my work. These people, for the people of the Bible, the day began in the dark. How many crops do you think you can harvest by candlelight? How many sheep do you think you can herd with a lantern? So it wasn't like they could turn on the lights and keep going at night. When night fell, the bad guys came out. The snakes slithered around, and they stopped working, and they went to sleep. But that's when God says the day begins. I like that. I like that because the day doesn't start in the biblical idea with what I do, with me having to work and do something and make something or be courageous or whatever. The day begins while I am asleep. The day begins in the darkness because just because I'm not at work doesn't mean God isn't at work. God begins the work in the darkness. Remember in creation it says when God created the world, there was evening and there was morning the first day. The whole day God was working beginning in the evening and going into the morning. So what, do, what did they do? Nothing. They let God work. And it was God who won the victory, not them. It was God who beat the darkness back, and all they had to do was wake up. Wake up and walk into it because it was for them, because of God's great love. Today I wanted us to kind of experience that. So I know y'all have been, we we always flower the cross early, right? You put the flowers on, but I wanted us to do it now. I wanted to, and I'm not going to have it done yet, but as you start, the light is going to come back in. This cross, and I'm going to ask the ushers to come get it, we're going to move it into the center here. The cross was a torture device, y'all. I mean, For us, it's a sign of hope, but it was a torture device. There, Josephus said people would rather be thrown to the lions. They would rather be burned alive than die on a cross. That's how, how agonizing it was. And yet God turned this tool of darkness into a sign of victory. And today we are going to show that hope that we have, that darkness lasts but a moment. And then it's God's work that will free us by putting flowers on the cross, by making it come alive, by waking up. So I'd invite you to do that. You can come at it from all sides, okay? Just pile on in a Christian way, okay? If you don't have a flower, the ushers can get you one. But I invite you to do that as the band sings this next song, Let's Stand and Let's Put Flowers on the Cross.